So the king died, verse 37, and was brought to Samaria, the capital of the northern ten tribes. And they buried the king in Samaria. And then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the, the harlots bathed. And some manuscripts say that, that uh, they, the dogs licked up his blood while they washed his armor. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The word through the prophet Micaiah proved true. King Ahab never returned to Samaria or Israel in peace. This was also a fulfillment of God's word through Elijah, where Elijah prophesied that dogs would lick the blood of Ahab. The prophecy of Ahab's death came to be because of his false repentance and continued sin. There was another prophecy fulfilled in the death of Ahab. It was the word from the anonymous prophet of 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 42. And he said that Ahab spared Ben-Hadad's life at the expense of his own. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes the book of 1 Kings. So Micaiah said, well, if you return in peace, then the Lord has not spoken by me. And he says, take heed, all you people. And so Micaiah is laying his life on the line. He's saying, if he comes back in peace, then I have spoken falsely. And you know what a false prophet happens? What happens to a false prophet? He gets killed. That's what the law says. If a man says he's going to speak for God and that thing doesn't come to pass, that prophet is to be put to death. So you better know that you heard from God, <laughs> right? And so, um, and you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. But let's go on to verse 29 because we're running out of time here. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth-Gilead. So they, they leave the capital and they cross, over, um, they cross over the Jordan River going over east into what you and I would call modern-day Jordan in, uh, in that area. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, now listen to this. He, this is what Ahab says to Jehoshaphat. Hey, I got an idea. I'm going to disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robes. So that, the, so that the king of Israel disguised himself and went in, into battle. Do you realize how crazy that is? And Jehoshaphat goes along with it. It makes you wonder if he's like, well, you know what? I believe what Micaiah said, and you can, you can put a wig on your head. It doesn't matter what you do. You're going to die today. Maybe that was his heart, because he's thinking to himself, think about it. If he's the only king dressed as a king, who are the enemy going to come after? They're going to come after the king. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now there's only one king on the field instead of two. And so Ahab says, I'm going to put on a disguise like Bozo the Clown. And I'm going to go and you put on your robes. And, and Joshua's going, oh, okay. 
<laughs> so they do. They do. And the king of Israel, uh, uh, sorry, let me go back uh, to verse 31. So now the king of Syria had commanded his 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And guess what? There's only one king on the field that they're going to see who's dressed in his garb, his royal garb, and that's the king that God loves, even though he wasn't a... The, you know, he made a mistake here, allying himself with Ahab. But there's one king on the field now. So he's putting himself in great jeopardy. And I almost wonder if God was just smiling, going, you know what? I know they're going to all come after you, but I got a plan. Don't you worry, Jehoshaphat. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And therefore they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened that when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, it wasn't Ahab, that they turned back from pursuing him. So Jehoshaphat's thinking, Thank God. You know, maybe they recognize my dialect maybe they saw my face you know they probably wanted posters up everywhere you know this man you know ahab go after him and they get close to the king of of judah and they're like ah oh, that's not him got to go look for someone else because that was their orders now a certain man drew a bow at random so this is this is literally what it's like some guy out in the field takes a bow and an arrow and he just pulls it back like that and he just lets it fly he's not aiming for anything he's probably just closing his eyes maybe turning around in a circle and letting it fly thinking it's going to land somewhere <laughs> and it struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor And so he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And this is a miraculous shot. It is a miraculous death. Death, even though Ahab sought to thwart what God had said through Micaiah and Elijah the prophet. Trying to circumvent what God had said, he puts on armor. And isn't it interesting that this man just draws randomly a bow and shoots it in the air, and it hits him right in the joint. What are the odds of that? If you're a statistician, what are the odds of thousands of men being on the battlefield and some guy draws a bow at random and it not only hits the intended person randomly, but it hits him between where the pieces of armor join so that it sneaks right in there at the joint and gets him? What are the odds of that? In Proverbs 16, verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. I'm convinced that that man, like David and Goliath, remember when David was going to, he got the rock and the sling, and he was, and I love what the scripture says, that he ran after Goliath. He had the rock and the sling in the pouch, and he started to swing it. And as he started to swing it, he started to run toward this giant genetic nightmare that Goliath was. And he lets that thing go. And I'm convinced with all my heart that even if David was having a bad day and he missed, that that rock would have turned around, went all the way around the earth and hit Goliath in the back of the head. That rock was appointed for him. Just like this arrow was appointed for Ahab. Then as... so. It says that the battle increased that day, verse 35, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians, and he died at evening. And the blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. And then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. Does that sound familiar to you? Isn't that exactly what 
the prophet had said, Micaiah and verse 16 and 17? You might want to put verse 16 and 17 right off to the side of verse 36 because that's exactly what God had prophesied. Remember when Micaiah said this? I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Isn't that exactly what happened? Wasn't it exactly what happened? Yes, it was. So the king died, verse 37, and was brought to Samaria, the capital of the northern ten tribes. And they buried the king in Samaria. And then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the, the harlots bathed. And some manuscripts say that, that uh, they, the dogs licked up his blood while they washed his armor. Either way, if this was a place where the harlots bathed themselves, what an awful... Uh, it's even a further indictment against Ahab that his blood would be in a place where harlots were bathing and they'd be cleaning in the same water. It just further defames the king's honor, if you will, which was already pretty bad to begin with. And so, um, now the rest of the acts of Ahab, verse 39, and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Now, the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, we don't have in our possession. They're, 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 they're missing. We don't know where they're at. Maybe they're in some Dead Sea area that nobody has found yet. We don't have them. But the Chronicles of the Books of Judah, yes, we have those. They're in your Bible tonight. First and Second Chronicles. That's about the kings of Judah. But the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? We don't know where they're at. And it's okay because God made sure that the Judah, the kings of Judah, that the record of Judah would survive. And why? Because who would come from the line of Judah? Exactly. And God is making sure that through all, even the scriptures... The things that we have, the canon of Scripture, all of that stuff is there by design. There's not one thing that's missing that we really need. God made sure that we have all that we need in the Word of God. Because it all is a book of redemption from the beginning of when Adam and Eve sinned and then God restored you know, and clothed them. And then the struggle of man all throughout history down through David and then from David down through a Gentile woman named, you know, or, you know, um, from Ruth, you know, all the way down to, to David, and then from David down to, you know, Jesus Christ, fulfilling all those prophecies. So verse 40, so Ahab rested with his fathers, meaning he was laid to rest, and then Ahaziah, the son, his son, reigned in his place. So verse 41, it says, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. And, and here's just, and you know what, the worship team, why don't you guys go ahead and come on up because we're going to take communion in just a few minutes. But notice what it says here. This is kind of like a cataloging of, of Jehoshaphat's good things and a few things that weren't so good. And I love the honesty of God. Even though this man was a good king, God is not going to say, he's, he's going to bring out the truth. He's not just going to be, um, he's not going to be a respecter of persons. Yes, Jehoshaphat did some really great things. He was a man of God. But he made a few mistakes. And we read about one tonight. Notice what it says in verse 42. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was 
uh, Azuba, the daughter of Shilhai, and he walked in all the ways of his father Asa, because Asa was a good king in Judah as well. And he did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And you'll see that all throughout Kings, even as we begin Second Kings next week, you'll see Kings always compared to that. You know, they either did good by, they either did the good things and, and the, they were did things right in the sight of God, or they did things wrong. But he did. The right things in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, notice what it says. The high places were not taken away. For the people offered sacrifice and burnt incense on the high places. They were supposed to do their offerings in Jerusalem, on the temple there at the Temple Mount, but they were so used to their idolatrous worship of their false gods on these high places, these high hills all around Jerusalem and Israel, But then even when they converted, they still sacrificed up there because it was a little more convenient than going all the way down to Jerusalem. So even though they may have been worshiping God in these high places that were formerly places of idolatry, he still didn't remove them. But notice the the Spirit of God says that he was a good man. And also Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel, which was not a good thing. These are the things that weren't really good because the Bible says to not be unequally yoked, right? What does the Bible tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? And this, you know, you think about a godly king and an ungodly king. That's like being a a, a born-again believer, you know, a single born-again believer marrying an unbeliever. (laughs) What does the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14? Do not be unequally yoked together as unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? The answer is nothing. There's no communion. How can two walk together except they be agreed? The one is always going to be knocking against the other. And that's no marriage. That's a battle. That's a war. Who wants that? Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, and how he made war, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yes, we have those. First and second chronicles. It's written there. You can read the parallel account in, uh, in Chronicles of, of this event here. And notice verse 46, And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. Yes, these were male prostitutes. They were homosexual men who committed sodomy in their religious practices. But there was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. And Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold. So this is down there in the, in the Red Sea, down in the place that you and I would call Elath. It's at the, at the, at the corner of the uh, Sea of Suez, I believe, or the, the, the Gulf of Suez. I think that's where it is. Uh, it's right there. And they, they would travel down uh, to Ophir, down um, further south, to get gold. And it was plentiful in that day. But they never sailed. For Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. And Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. So it seems to me that after Ahab died, his son, Ahab's son Ahaziah, is trying to seek to have some kind of, you know, um, 
confederacy now with Jehoshaphat. And I think Jehoshaphat had learned his lesson. And he says, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And that's one of the best things he, he learned his lesson. And that's all that God cares about. It's not that we make mistakes, but that we learn from them, right? And so, verse, um, so Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, with his fathers, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. And Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. Notice, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. So he's talking about Ahab and Jezebel, these two, this unholy pair. He walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made all Israel to sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of anger of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. What a horrible thing, isn't it? It's a horrible thing. But you know what? I just love the fact that God is he's, he's just in all that he does. And you can't hide from him. I think it was Joe Lewis who said to his... Uh, his uh, his opponent during one one many years ago, I think in the forties, Joe Lewis says, "You can run, but you can't hide." And I think Ronald Reagan said the same thing. You can run, but you can't you can't hide. Ahab, you can try to run, but you can't hide. You can't hide from Almighty God, and neither can we. And why would we want to hide anyway? I would encourage you tonight as we take communion. You know, it won't take long, and, and as, we're, as they're leading us in a song of worship, just come on up and grab the elements, and it's all contained in one thing, and bring it back to your, your chair, and we'll take it together, okay? But just take that moment and think about that, and just say, Lord, why, why would I even want to run from you? Let me just confess everything before you. In fact, it's a good time to do that while we worship. Just bring your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I want a clean slate tonight. Everything that I've ever done from this moment prior to my existence, Lord, I ask that you'd cleanse me, Lord, that you'd forgive me for every single thing that I've done. And what is the promise? It's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise that God will honor. All we have to do is confess it. So anything that you know of, now privately is a good time to do that. And just say, Lord, cleanse me, wash me as white or as snow. Wash me in the blood of Christ. Though our sins are as scarlet, yet he will wash them white as snow. Amen. What a blessing to meet like this and... And to take communion, you know, it's so easy, you know, because, you know, three months or three days out of the month, we, we take communion together. Once on Thursday and then a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. And I pray that it never becomes just something that we, that's just on the schedule, you know. Because when you think about communion, you know, when in the Middle East, even today, and, and especially back then, whenever they would have a meal together, it was, when you were invited to someone's house, it was a very special thing. And when you sat down to eat with somebody, basically what you were doing is you, it was a very intimate thing. 
Because you were eating from the same plate and from the same kind of food. And it was a, there was a communion about it. It wasn't like what we do today where we go to Applebee's and we're all sitting around with our phones. You know, we're not talking to each other. Or we're looking at, you know, one of the 50 television screens on the screen to distract us from each other. And yet we've gone out to be with each other. Instead of talking, we're there with our phones or looking at the TV and looking at the sports. But back then it was a communion, a real communion. And you think about when Jesus, that night before he was taken, you know, as they celebrated the Passover meal, Jesus did something that has never been done before in a Passover meal. And that is, at the end of it, he broke that bread. He said, this, is bro- this, this bread is broken for my, my body. Like my body, it's broken for you. When it hadn't even occurred yet, certainly ours very small number of hours, Jesus would fulfill that literally on the cross when he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it. And then he would say afterwards, this is the blood of the new covenant. Not of the old covenant, but the new covenant. This covenant is in my blood. As a believer in Christ, we are believers because of the blood of Christ, not because of we go to Calvary Chapel, not because we're a Protestant, has nothing to do with how many times we've even gone to church. No, it has everything to do with, do I have the Spirit of God in me? Am I born again? Well, if you are, then welcome to the church. You belong to the church. You belong to Jesus. And we are blood-bought. And therefore, he says, take this cup that is the blood of the new, the cup of the New Testament, this blood, and drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me. It, it's not literally my body and blood. They're symbols of what I'm about to accomplish on the cross. And when you take these things in, what does it do when you take in the bread, as we're going to do in just a moment? When you take that and you eat it, what does it go? It goes down into the center of you. Is there anything more personal? When you take... What Jesus said is his body that's broken for you. As we take that and we ingest it, it can't be any more a part of us than that. It's right in the center of our being. And that's the idea. He wants us to remember who we are in him and what he has done for us. I don't know about you, but that still just gives, puts a big smile on my face because I don't deserve it. Does anybody here deserve it? We don't deserve it. But we take it by grace. We take it by grace of God because of what he's done for us. So let's take the bread and remember that he broke his body for you. And let's go ahead and open the cup. The blood of the New Testament. It's not literally the body and the blood of Christ. They are simple tokens. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. So as we take this cup we are becoming one with our savior again and just acknowledging lord may we be one remember the the prayer that jesus prayed in in john 17 that's the lord's prayer not matthew 6 but john 17 that's the lord's prayer he says lord i god father father i would pray that they would be one like you and i are one and so when we take this that's literally what we're doing we're becoming one with him so let's take it Lord, and you alone deserve all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, Lord. We love you tonight, Lord. We love you every day. 
We love you for the rest of our being, Lord. And certainly when we spend eternity with you, Lord, we'll be loving you for eternity, Lord. How we thank you for that. And thank you that your love for us is beyond anything we could imagine, Lord. Even in our failures, even in our sin, God. Help us just to fall in love with you all over again. Have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob begins a study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.